Welcome to More Christianity. I'm Father Dwight Longenecker, your host, and this is the program where we explore the fullness of the Christian faith in the Catholic Church. We talk to converts. We have guests who are involved in architecture, literature, arts, music, those who are involved in pro-life work, those who are involved in apologetics and catechesis, trying to share with people the abundant life that we have in the Catholic faith and the joy that we have in, in seeing Christ at work in the world in so many different ways. Today, my guest is Sean Chapman. Sean is a teacher of religion at St. Joseph's Catholic School in Greenville, South Carolina, and he's here to discuss with me the aspects of the paranormal in the Catholic Church. Welcome to More Christianity, Sean. Thank you, Father, for having me. We're going to talk today about something which is highly controversial and uh, very, very interesting, and that is exorcism and the diabolical. Months ago, I wrote uh, an article which was picked up in the national press about whether the shooter at the Aurora Theater was actually de- could have been demon possessed. That's the one who went in in a showing, I think, of the Batman movie, was it? That's um, right. And That's right. just came in and killed 10, 15, a dozen people. When we see examples of evil like that, which are so extreme and so uh, spontaneous and absurd, of course, the natural mind says, well, he's insane. He's, he's crazy. Who does something like that? But for a Christian, for a believer, we always have in the back of our minds also the question, was the devil involved? I mean, did those thoughts occur to you when you when you saw something like that? When you look at who he was sort of trying to embody, the, mm-hmm. the sort of Joker from the previous Batman film, and, and you think about the Joker being the sort of the anarchist, you know, riding in the police car, uh, uh-huh. spinning his hat around, the sort of disregard for any kind of law. So in, in that sense, maybe that's a little too philosophical, but in that sense, I thought about it. I don't know if I immediately thought about diabolical possession. Right. Yeah. Some of the other things that have come up over the last few months here in in the United States, I'm thinking about the horrors in Cleveland, the guy who seemed to be your ordinary neighbor in a working-class neighborhood imprisoning three young girls for 10 years in, in his basement in a dungeon. And then there was the Boston bombings. It just seems to be one thing after another. And you have to ask, well, are these people demon-possessed? Is the diabolical element active in another way. How else might the diabolical be in, involved in all of this? Well, I think in a, in a certain sense, when whenever you give yourself over to sin, you conspire with evil. You see this in cases that say, say a pedophile or an abortionist, where it means absolutely nothing to them. You see that kind of diabolical in that, the lack of any kind of conscience whatsoever. Um, that's where I begin to say, well, why should the devil need to appear directly? He has basically an instrument without showing his you know, exact face. So when you're talking about uh, the devil appearing directly, you're talking about the kind of phenomenon you associate with demonic possession like you see in an exorcist movie or something you know, where someone's bouncing off the walls and vomiting blue vomit and all the rest of this right. sort of thing. So you're saying you don't have to have those kind of creepy manifestations – necessarily to have a diabolical influence in your life. Exactly, yes. Okay, let me be the, excuse the pun, the devil's advocate, okay, and say if a person is giving themselves over to sin, your theory is that they're giving themselves over to the devil. But couldn't it just be that they're an ordinary human being who has turned to the dark side and and has simply chosen to go that way for their own pleasure or their their own desires? Philosophically speaking, you might ask, what is the dark side then if it's just a decision? You know, I I think we see in these events, just like when we see extraordinary acts of goodness and courage, 
we see something more than simply somebody making an intellectual decision to do something. You see a, a remarkable, almost diabolical creativity, like something that is um, almost too thought out and too artful to be simply a matter of, well, I just felt like doing this bad thing or that Right. Bad so thing. you're saying a person hasn't just fallen into temptation of some sort. There's an element of premeditation to it. There's an element of, of planning which becomes really very nasty. Okay. Exactly, yeah. Why does this necessarily, though, require a diabolical intelligence? It Couldn't it just be a human intelligence which has gone bad or, or a form of mental illness? Couldn't it just be a, a psychosis of some sort? Sure. I mean, the question is not so much making a distinction between the angels and human with evil. Is The question is, is there an element of kind of extra inspiration there? Okay. So in addition to temptation, ordinary temptation, which any human being feels just by being human, I think theologians would say that there are different levels of the diabolical influences. So without going into full-blown demonic possession – I think we can admit that there's a human level of temptation, but then you're saying and suggesting, and I think this matches up with the literature on the subject, that in addition to that normal human level of temptation, there can also be, that's where the devil perhaps gets his toe in the door. That's where the diabolical begins to have an influence. There is an element of, as I said, use the word inspire to breathe, just as there's a Holy Spirit. Right. There's that element of inspiration that you get. If you look at tortures, that requires a certain creativity. You're using a certain diabolical creativity, a distortion of the creative instinct to come up with unique and creative ways to destroy the psyche and the, sort of the will of a person. Right. So right. if the diabolical is involved then, it kind of, you're, you're saying it's kind of an inspiration by evil. I don't know any other word to use. <laughs> that sounds like a – not not a good word to use, but it's – the devil gives, gives you ideas, in other words, and leads you on into something which is even darker. One of the next levels which the literature talks about is also obsession. Now, obsession is, is therefore when a person is led down in the path of evil, past temptation to this level you might have called inspiration or a deeper temptation. And then obsession is when a person starts becoming taken over by those desires and those actions. Does that fit with your, your understanding of it? Certainly, he can play into what is already deformed within ourselves, if you want to use that word. For instance, Jared Loeffner, who shot the – Right, the con congresswoman. Congresswoman. Mm -hmm. I mean, just to look at a picture of him, the sort of the eyes, there's just something terribly wrong there. I mean, the devil, in other words, once again, doesn't have to possess a person like that in some ways – He's the perfect instrument because they had to do this for a good reason. They heard they voices saving. in their head. Yes, exactly. Right. They were saving somebody. They had to kill them to say I knew a, a guy that was schizophrenic who killed his father, he said, because he was protecting them from some mysterious bad guys. Was that just his mind talking to him? You we know? haven't heard anything from the boy who, who shot all the children in Sandy Hook. But right. again, did some voices tell him to go and do this? But you mentioned schizophrenia, and that brings in the question of mental illness. How do we distinguish between the diabolical and mental illness? They're more readily willing to do these things because they're able to be maybe manipulated in ways that people in every day aren't. People that aren't suffering from mental illness 
must be slowly kind of shepherded, if you will, another unfortunate way of expressing it, but uh, <laughs> shepherded towards towards these things. Okay, so you're you're suggesting that maybe mental illness provides uh, a vulnerability for that person to be led in, into the dark side, and that it might not be as simple. Therefore, saying, "Oh, he's just schizophrenic," right? Or, "Oh, he's demon possessed." In fact, it might be a little a blend of of the two things together. You're listening to More Christianity. This is Father Dwight Longenecker. I'm talking with my guest, Sean Chapman. He's a religion teacher here in Greenville, South Carolina. And we're talking about the intriguing subject of diabolical influences and demon possession. Talking about mental illness and demon possession, this is one of the things which has always interested me so much is that some Christians will take a simplistic approach and say, oh, it's all demon possession. Oh, it's all diabolical. On the other hand, a secularist who doesn't believe in the supernatural at all will dismiss it and say, no, 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 it's not that. It's just mental illness. These people have a mental illness, which we can sometimes name. Sometimes we can't name it, but these are people who are mentally ill. They need to be institutionalized. That's what's wrong with them. First of all, I would say that the church is always very skeptical about presuming that something has to do with the demonic or possession. A lot of times they'll refer it to a psychologist or doctors or whoever. I uh, was fortunate enough to have my eighth grade teacher, Latin teacher, was a consultant on uh, the Exorcist movie, the mm. original one. Oh, right. You know, one of the things that he would tell me when he was a part of exorcisms was supposed demons would know information that they would have no way of knowing about, say, his mother. Right. So now we're talking about someone who does have experience with genuine diabolical experiences. Before we go there, right. in dealing with people who are troubled, it can be a whole range of different problems that they're suffering from, as well as the diabolical. You mentioned, for instance, the, the clear example of esoteric knowledge. But before you actually go into to those phenomena, you also find that a person who's troubled and we suspect might have a, a devil or a demonic influence or something in them, that person is almost always likely to be involved in all sorts of other problems. You, you, we began by discussing their problem with sin, that they've yielded to temptation. They, they then go into obsession and, and get all drawn into the, the dark side of their personality and the dark side of, of the sinful condition. But I found that almost always these same people will be tied up with problems with the occult. They will have self-esteem issues. They probably have family and relationship problems. They may very well have alcohol and addiction problems. They may be suffering from problems with self-harm. They might be suffering problems with employment and depression and a whole mm -hmm. catalog right. of human problems. And it's almost like all of these problems are wrapped up in this tightly knotted kind of difficulty that you, you, you can't pick it apart like a, a complicated knot upon knot upon knot. You spend hours trying to pick it all apart and you can't make sense of it all because the relationship problem is linked with the alcohol problem, which is linked with the emotional problem, which is linked with the unemployment, which is linked with the occult. And it's just so darn complicated that in the midst of all those complications, then you will find also a possible diabolic or demonic element. Right. And it's almost like the, the chaos of this person's life – has also been created by the devil who is the lord of chaos, who is the father of lies. So when we come into dealing with actual cases of people who are deeply troubled and may have demonic influence, almost always what I'm saying is that it's extremely complicated. Your teacher, you said, was a consultant on the Exorcist movie because he was involved in exorcisms? He was. He would often assist 
mm-hmm. and exorcisms and some of the stories that he would tell about things that demons would say to him. Obviously, in this case, we're talking about more of a possession than obsession or right. know, infestation. So let's go there then and okay. discuss that for a minute. A person goes from being obsessed and then one of the next stages, you talked about infestation and possession. How do you understand the difference between those two? Well, infestation relates more to, for instance, somebody has a spirit maybe in their home. Mm-hmm. Basically, we open doors within ourselves mm-hmm. and in our lives and we invite in these dark spirits by associating with dark things in general. Like in, in a certain sense, these demons can't come in unless we in some way open the doors for them. Okay. Um, in the case of infestation, say you, you had a tarot card reading, which was something that happened at my house mm-hmm. growing up with interesting events surrounding it. You are basically inviting spirits whom you know not who they are, or what they are, potentially into the house itself. It doesn't mean that it's necessarily will be attacking you. That can also be associated with animals or objects. Um, and that's different, obviously, than, than obsession with a person. Or- okay. So infestation would be that level of involvement where maybe you go into a house and you say, boy, it feels creepy in here. And right. other people reporting certain paranormal experiences in the house, maybe amongst pets or animals or, or poltergeist activity or something like that. Poltergeists, by the way, are those spirits that seem to chuck things around the house. You know, a a table levitates or a lamp flies across the room and crashes into the wall. That's poltergeist activity. So you're suggesting that all of those kind of levels, hauntings and disturbances, are maybe diabolical influences in an environment rather than in a person. Right. Okay. Right. So infestation would be that level in which the demons or the diabolical influences are present in a particular place. To be the devil's advocate again, someone's going to come back and say, eh, you know, you say that it's devils. That's all superstitious medieval nonsense. Come on now. What you're really talking about is a disturbed person is projecting their disturbances onto their environment in some mysterious way. Is that an answer? One has to always have a skeptical eye. But once again, I mean, the reason is very important here. What we're not doing is saying everything has a spiritual explanation. What we're saying is if something extraordinary is going on here, and especially if it becomes blatantly extraordinary, meaning this just doesn't happen and shouldn't happen, Mm -hmm. we have to then say, hmm, perhaps it's something else. Perhaps it's something beyond what we can see. And especially if you you start seeing things thrown around the room, you go – Well, that doesn't happen every day. Right. But we are actually called as Catholics to be properly skeptical. Right. So if you are coming into a situation – let me give you for instance. You're a high school teacher um, and you're a religion teacher. So what are you going to do when um, Susie Jones, your 10th – one of your 10th grade students comes to you and says, Mr. Chapman, you have to come around to our place because everybody feels really creepy in there and the dog won't go in that room and howls and runs from the room. And I woke up one night and I saw a glowing figure at the foot of my bed and a lamp flew across the room and smashed into the wall. So you go into this place. What are you going to say? What's your first diagnosis? To the extent that I observe something paranormal, if I never see it, then how am I being scientific or rational if I say, well, that's nothing? I'm seeing something. So there has to be some sort of explanation. Maybe there's a natural explanation for it, perhaps. Well, that's the thing, isn't it? You're, yeah. you're, I think we're, we're called to look first for all of the natural explanations. Okay. Even if it's a natural explanation, which is psychological, like this teenage girl does have a disturbed area of her life psychologically and emotionally, and maybe she is projecting her negative emotions in some strange way into the environment. 
we have to allow for those possibilities. We have to allow for any of the natural possibilities which are there first and we rule those out before we start looking for the diabolical. Right. As a priest, if someone comes to me with a haunting or a poltergeist disturbance or some sort of psychic or psychological disturbance like that in an environment, I've had them, I just go around and bless the house with holy water and um, say the Lord's Prayer together with a focus on deliver us from evil and usually that takes care of it. I was called out to one home one time where the family were good, regular mass attenders, and they said, could you please visit our home? Because in the downstairs room, it's cold all the time, and nobody wants to stay in that room. Of course, I went in and said, well, let's talk about this, and you know, maybe it's a family problem. And I, I played it down and looked for all the natural things first, but when I was there, I didn't like it in that room either. And <laughs> and sure enough, all the classical things were there. I called the dog to come into that room and they all laughed and said, oh, she won't go in there. So I explained to them. I said, we have faith here. I said, we don't know what happened in this room. Maybe someone, some tragedy happened in the house or in the room or there's some sort of other psychological element or some psychic element here which right. is causing the bad feeling. It's not necessarily a devil. There are lots of other possible explanations. But whatever it is, right. we're going to pray together blessed with holy water, and see how things go. And it, it cleared up. There, were, there was no particular problem. I had another example. Shall, shall I tell you another story that happened? Sure. I went around to another house, and these were Baptists. My brother had, had asked me to go around, so I came around, and I said to them, what seems to be the problem? Oh, they said, our son moved into this house. He immediately became very depressed. He tried to commit suicide twice. And although he fixed the house up for resale and it looks beautiful, nobody likes coming in here. We've had it on the market for like three years. And whenever the real estate agents can even get anybody in the door, they never spend more than five minutes here. They all want to leave. <laughs> and we want to have to sell the house. I said, let me just walk around the house. So I walked around the house very quietly, praying as I was going. And one particular corner of the house felt real bad. And I came back and I said, without telling them, which corner of the house I felt bad in. I said, can you tell me where your son attempted suicide? Mm. And it was the corner of the house where the bad feelings were. Mm. So I sat down with these Baptists and I explained the whole thing. And first I said to them, can I just ask why you called me and not your pastor? <laughs> and they said, oh, our Baptist pastor wouldn't be able to do anything about this. <laughs> so I said, well, I hope I can. I explained to them all this theory that this bad feeling they had might come from the bad things that her son had done there or something else that we didn't know about. And they went with me and prayed with me because they were Christian believers and we blessed the house. And they called me the next week to say that they had just signed a deal and that this house sold the next week. And that brings up a whole other interesting thing, which is sort of psychic residue or something. Mm -hmm. You know, it would be one thing if he had killed himself, but he tried to do it. It's like even the attempt itself, I guess, invites in something the action, does the action itself stay? I mean, it's an interesting question. It's like a shadow. There's a yeah. negativity there, which again, may have nothing to do with the devil. Right. It might simply be a psychic negativity of a bad thing which happened in that place. And somehow or other, the smell of that badness, kind of the psychic residue, that's a good word for it, hangs around. Even so, the beauty of our Catholic faith is that very often and most often, a simple remedy works. I can remember going to a conference in England once by a very well-known psychiatrist and healer, a guy called Dr. Kenneth McCall. 
And um, this conference was about exorcism and spiritual warfare. And there were some rather excitable ladies in the audience who, at the question and answer periods, said, Dr. McCall, Dr. McCall, we've got some witches in our town, and what should we do to get rid of them? And he just very calmly said, you know, I found that in nine times out of ten, if there's a presence of evil of any kind, that for two or three Christians to gather together and to pray the Lord's Prayer with an emphasis on deliver us from evil, he said, that will usually take care of it. So he was very matter-of-fact and very simple that these simple things in the majority of cases will take care of it. First of all, the knot of evil and, and mm-hmm. the anarchy, we're not capable of untying it or figuring it out. That's the beauty of the grace of priesthood, of being able to bring God's order and his blessing to the house, to restoration, because if the evil one is about anarchy, God is about order, bringing order out of anarchy. And, right. and that's what his creative grace does. In my particular case, the the incident in my childhood with where the tarot card readings and then after that, this horrible noise that we heard through the house. I, I wasn't ki- even – What kind of noise was it? The only thing I can describe it as is something between a human and an animal scream. Mm-hmm. Something I've never heard since or before, and I hope I never hear again. Right. And I wasn't particularly religious. In fact, I was into transcendental meditation mm-hmm. at the time, and perhaps that maybe I invited some stuff in through that as well. But at any rate, I knew I was smart enough to know once again, we need to get a Catholic priest in here to bless right. this because that, whatever that was, that wasn't good. And I mean, this might seem like a silly add on to it, but before we had the priest in, I remember we had this, this mirror, which was a gag. And when it sits on its back, it just it, it doesn't do anything. You pick it up and hold it to your face, and it laughs. Mm-hmm. The mirror, because it's supposed to be, you know, laughing at you. And right. And it, literally, I walked in the room one time, and it just started laughing. No one had without touched picking it, it up. without picking it up. I was like, okay, this is it. I That's gotta, creepy. Gotta, <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. So, so it's the blessing of God and his grace untangling the knots of the diabolical mm-hmm. is to me that that's how I kind of see it. And, and in the majority of cases, that is the way it works. And God's grace does deliver us. I need to remind our listeners too, that while this is an intriguing subject, it's not a subject that anybody's supposed to really get involved in. Any priest that I've ever met does not actually want to be an exorcist. The exorcist that I've met would prefer not to be involved in this ministry. Any Christian, Catholic or otherwise, who thinks that they want to be an exorcist or thinks they want to get involved in the deliverance ministry or get involved in all this stuff, they don't know what they're talking about. And I I will warn any of our listeners, while you listen to this program and you might be interested and learn about exorcism and the diabolical, you don't want to go there. You want to focus on Jesus Christ and his blessed mother. You want to go to Mass. You want to be a normal, good Christian. This is twisted stuff. This is dark stuff. And the only people who go there and do this are people who are especially spiritually strong and who are especially called to it. And God really opens up and almost forces them into this ministry because it's something which is exhausting, something which is terrifying, and something which you, you don't want to go close to, not even in the low-level stuff, you know, like tarot cards and spooky feelings in a, in a house or something. Most priests will go and deal with these things, but it's not something we search for. Lewis famously, at the beginning of Screwtape Letters, warns against becoming too fascinated by the subject itself, you know, recognizing it's there, but at the same time, not becoming one of these sort of like people that is a little too interested in the darker side of things. Yeah, in any aspect of the yeah. paranormal, any aspect of the occult. When I was dealing with high school students, I used to say 
to them, don't go there. The scriptures say that the devil is a, is like a roaring lion stalking about seeking whom may, he may devour. That, that's not really metaphorical language <laughs> in as much as the devil hates you. Mm-hmm. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, if you've been baptized, you have faith in Jesus Christ, the devil hates you. He wants to devour you. He wants to destroy you. He will do anything he can to destroy you. And therefore, to go and dabble in anything like that or to be intrigued by it is, well, it's playing with fire. It's it's like stepping into the lion's den. You, you, you don't want to go there. I'm Father Dwight Longenecker. This is More Christianity. We're having an interesting discussion today about the diabolical with Sean Chapman, who's a religion teacher here in Greenville, South Carolina. Sean, you teach high school students. Have you found that your high school students are intrigued with this topic? They're always mm-hmm. intrigued by it. I'm always looking for students to be actually interested in the in the subject matter. But, you know, once again, you know, the concern is we should be as as interested and fascinated by God more so than the diabolical, because in the end, hell is the place of nothing. It's not interesting. It's a mystery that has nothing at the bottom of it. To be too fascinated by the mystery of hell is in the end to be lured into a mystery that has nothing at the heart of it. It is. But on the other hand, one of the things which I am really impressed by in a discuss- any discussion of the paranormal and especially demonic possession is that when you witness real demonic possession, and I think this is why teenagers and, and other people are so intrigued in it, you are actually witnessing in one of the very few ways that is indisputable the reality of the supernatural. You are actually seeing and experiencing something which cannot be explained in any other way and the reality, therefore, of invisible alien intelligences, which we call demons, and if demons, then angels, and if angels, then another realm, and if another realm, then God. So while we discourage morbid interest and so forth in all of these topics, at the same time, it's worth talking about it because it is real, and that's where people experience the reality of the supernatural. And I think that's why your students are interested in it. This is one of the reasons the devil possesses so few people, genuinely possesses so few people, because the realness of evil makes you want to run back to God. The existence of the devil also reminds us of our Catholic theology on the point, and that is that Satan is not the opposite of God. There is only one God. Satan is the opposite, if you like, of of St. Michael the Archangel. Right. Satan and his demons, they're angels who have fallen. There's an order of creation that's higher than man, these pure spiritual beings we call angels, and that's where the devils fit in. The other element we have to remember about this, which is brought up by St. Thomas Aquinas, is that the angels all have only one choice to make on whether to serve God or not. And Satan and the dark angels made that one choice. They are damned forever. Right. Thank you very much, Sean Chapman, for being my guest today on More Christianity. I invite our listeners to go to my website, DwightLongenecker.com, browse my books, jump over to my blog, which I try to keep up every day, and be in touch and and, uh, drop me a line. Thank you for listening.